0: A lot. And so it's just me trying to communicate. Um, I was going to say the hotness of Jesus, but that didn't quite sound right in my head. But certainly the case today. We're going to be talking about uh, some challenging stuff. So I've been really grateful for just the overwhelmingly positive um, response or feedback we've gotten from folks on just these first couple of messages in this new series um, called What It Means to Be Saved. And so. Um, Obviously, I think the reason why is because this topic has really resonated with a lot of folks um, who um, heard a a version of the gospel through their church or youth ministries that um, were just challenging. Sometimes maybe the people were just a little disillusioned by the evangelistic tactics of those things, Um, because I think the well-meaning, a lot of those entities um, gave us a severely limited understanding of the gospel. Um, that left a lot of times um, people I know just kind of drifting a bit, a little bit confused, um, especially when we were painted with such a different picture of what we thought Christianity was going to be about. So week one, we kind of talked about what does it look like to kind of um, cut through the man-made formulas that we talked about, about uh, getting people saved by prayers and, and methods that just aren't in Scripture And so we talked about how do we begin to peel away some of the layers to get down really to where we can hear the actual words of Jesus and how he described and called men and women to follow him and then define what that would look like, the kind of life those people should be living, the kinds of things that should matter to their hearts, um, the ways in which their hearts should be kind of wrecked by this gospel. And so that's kind of our goal going forward is how do we peel away some of the things maybe we've heard over time that aren't the actual words of Jesus? And how do we hear him and then begin to live out this gospel so that when we explain it to others that we're actually portraying the actual words of Christ and what his heart and intent was? So um, because we talked about in week one, Jesus called people to follow him, right? Right. To, To live like he lived, to do the things that he did. Um, And there was this unyielding nature to Jesus' call. Remember, we talked about that in week one, that he could seem really unyielding at times. He asked people to deny themselves, to take up their cross, which we talked about is is what he's meant there was just surrender your will and to do that daily. It was not a commitment to be taken lightly. And we talked about how a lot of his first followers, he he asked them to just drop everything, their jobs, um, their families, And to move with him into the future that was extremely unknown. He didn't really make a whole lot of promises about what it was going to look like um, moving forward. And that's a very different calling than just having your sins forgiven on a Sunday morning. Okay? So last week, Justin talked about this imagery that Jesus used a lot, um, that we needed to be born again. And that we needed to receive the kingdom of God like a child. And when Jesus was talking about this, this was a posture that he was trying to communicate that that was going to be necessary to receive his news. He's like, guys, you've got to be humble. You've got to come to me willing to consider that what you think you know about the gospel or about God has just been wrong. (laughs) And and there's a lot of things that you have to relearn um, in order to get this kingdom. New ways of thinking, new ways of feeling, new ways of behaving as Jesus revealed his vision of this new kingdom. And so um, I was reading just the other day and, and thinking about his message, and I was reading the passage in Scripture where Jesus talks about how this new kingdom that he was describing is like new wine. You know that passage. And, and back then they would put wines into like these leather, you know, containers, and these containers over time uh, would get dry and crusty and brittle, and, and they, they were no longer pliable, <laughs> Okay, so you couldn't put new wine into an old wineskin or it would burst because new wine needs some space to kind of breathe and to expand. And so Jesus is saying, is like, you can't take this new kingdom that I'm trying to describe and put it into your old ways of thinking. It won't fit. You've got to have a pliable new container that can take this new information and allow yourself to be stretched in new ways as this kingdom reveals itself to you over time. Okay, and so um, the first week we talked about how inclusive the gospel is. Remember, Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, right, anyone. And then I want you to take a look at Matthew 7, 7 through 8. It says this, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you for everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds and the one to whom the one who knocks, the door will be opened. So it's kind of this come one, come all. But it's a very um, double-edged sword because the demand is a very challenging one, an unyielding one. A you-must-come-this-way kind of call on God's terms. So you've probably noticed over time, if you've been a follower of Christ, that there are very few people that you've probably come across... <laughs> Even in church circles, you would say, "Man, that person has really yielded and submitted themselves to the will of God." Most people who call themselves Christians still want to define their faith on their own terms and just expect God to be okay with whatever they're willing to give what seems reasonable to them. <laughs> I have two young adult daughters. And I'm sure they're going to be thrilled with what I'm about to say. Um, So anytime they bring a guy around at this age in their life, I'm thinking this person might be my future (laughs) son-in-law. And that's a scary proposition because it's like, I want to spend the rest of her many years I got with this person potentially. So um, I usually kind of, you know, start asking some questions when they start talking to somebody. Um, about this guy's faith, right? And uh, so I want to know, are they really following Jesus? (laughs) Or do they just say that they just kind of believe in him or that they're interested in spiritual things? Um, Or are they desiring to surrender their lives to the cause of Christ? Because those are two very different things. And so you can imagine that's led to some interesting conversations at the Miller household from time to time. I was thinking to myself as I wrote this, I was like, ah, you know what? There might be a business in this. Maybe I can rent myself out. When you're screening your future son-in-laws, you could bring Pastor Miller over, kind of, you know, put the guys through the, through the, through the grind and kind of figure out where they're at in their faith. And um, no, but it's challenging um, to consider just the different ways in which people define their faith. And, you know, Jesus is not surprised Jesus is not surprised at the relative few who are willing to follow him. Okay? He spoke very plainly in scripture about this reality. So I want you all to turn to Matthew 7, which is page 881 in your Bibles. Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 13. So this is kind of getting to the end of the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus says this in verse 13 of chapter 7, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Only a few find it. That's really interesting because when I Googled this week how many Christians are in the world, uh, overwhelmingly the, the stats were, were similar. Um, the stats that I found, time and time again reported, is that there are 2.3 billion Christians, people who identify themselves as Christians. Out of a possible 7.5 billion people in the world. So it's about 31% of the world, apparently, are followers of Jesus. And I was like, there's not a chance that that's right. (laughs) There's no way that 31% of our world has really surrendered themselves to the will of God. I was thinking it was more like maybe 3% instead of 31. Only a few, Jesus said. So what do you guys think? Why is the gate narrow? Why is the gate narrow? Let's just start with that thought to begin with. Yeah, you can pull your mask down when you talk is fine. Yeah.
1: Yeah. You have to learn to depend your entire life upon God. You
0: have to live the way the Bible teaches you and fully trust God. Yeah. And a lot of that is a huge commitment that a lot of people aren't ready, they aren't ready to give up their old ways of life. They're not ready to depend on God fully. Yeah. And they just don't want to go all the way. Good. So he's just saying it's a huge commitment, right? Not many people are willing to take um, things that are huge commitments. It's why things that, are, that tend to be difficult in this world, not a lot of people do. Okay, so that's good. Anybody else? Why is the gate narrow, Jesus says? So many distractions. So many other things okay. All right. Good. What does Jesus say is the only way through? He called, the gate. he called himself the gate, right? I am the way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. So it's not like you can come to this gate that leads to life with a bunch of keys that are gonna fit, right? Self-effort, Buddhism, whatever you wanna put on your keychain. there's one key that goes in, and it's Jesus that opens the gate. And that's why it's narrow, because it's like there's, there's only one way to get to this path, all right? So in contrast, the gate that leads to destruction is wide. And it says that that path is broad and there are a lot of people on it. All right. So then we have to ask the question, well, why? Why are a lot of people on that path? Well, I feel like those are fairly simple answers (laughs) because people enjoy kind of defining life and doing life on their own terms. Most people kind of like that. They want to call the shots. They want to do whatever feels good to them in the moment without anybody else telling them what to do. That that way of living seemingly uh, feels like you don't have to surrender to anything. Like you're kind of the boss. And I would venture to guess that many people, uh, this is where where Bob gets hot, okay? (laughs) I would venture to guess that many people filling church pews on a Sunday morning morning are also on the broad road. They may enjoy how church makes them feel (laughs) or like being seen as a good moral person. But at their core, they're not in a relationship with Christ. And certainly not one where they have surrendered to his lordship. You see, many self-proclaimed Christians kind of like Jesus for what he can do for them. Right? I really like Jesus. I'd really love for you to forgive my sins. And maybe when I'm sick, if you could heal me or my friend or if I'm in financial trouble or my circumstances are rough, if you could get me a new job or get me out of that financial jam that i'm in but they have little to no interest in laying down their life for god's agenda for this world and i've come to discover in decades of following christ that a a true follower a devoted disciple of christ is a rare thing indeed and if we can be honest um I I just took a look at some different translations of this passage in Matthew 7 and and some different um, scriptures. And the the ESV, English Standard Version, has verse 14 like this. It says, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. You see, Jesus didn't hold any punches from his first followers, okay? All over the Gospels, Jesus time and again is saying, hey, listen, guys, this path is narrow, it's hard, and only a few are going to be on it. He makes that very clear. There will be trouble, he says. You will be persecuted. You will be hated. Some of you will be killed. The Greek translation of that word hard in verse 14 is the imagery of um, the process of a grape being pressed and crushed in a winery. Okay, so it's very familiar imagery to that culture in the Middle East. They would, have, they would have understood the context of that, right? What happens to a grape, it ceases becoming a grape. <laughs> that version of what it was is crushed and translated or transformed into something else, which also happens to be, you know, pretty good for a lot of people, right? <laughs> they love what becomes of a grape being crushed and turned into wine, so the tension for all of us in this is that our human nature gravitates towards pleasure and comfort. And that's why uh, you know, the rubber kind of meets the road when we start talking with somebody about you know, what's, what's beyond just praying that you know, your sins would be forgiven to what it looks like to really be a day in and day out devoted follower of Christ where you've yielded and you've submitted yourself to God's authority that when you start having those conversations sometimes people kind of start falling away they're not as interested in in that narrative either that or they go to a myriad of churches who have decided that it's okay to lower the bar of Christ's unyielding call there's no shortage of ministries and churches in our world who will pander to the masses to not offend them with the gospel. And Paul was clear that this would be the case in the last days. Look at 2 Timothy 4.3. Paul wrote this, For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. And guys, I, I say all of what I'm saying right now with a lot of just like humility. I'm not saying that Wellspring's got it right. And I'm not saying that everything that comes out of my mouth is like, boy, that's Bob's got the gospel perfect. But I'm saying that our desire is to try to be faithful to the, to the call that Jesus is giving to us as followers of Christ. To continue to lean in and say, hmm... Have I got it right? Have I been living the way that he's calling us to live? Am I communicating that correctly? And in a way that would, would God would say, yeah, that's what I meant when I said that. Because you guys, Jesus saw the thinning out of the crowds all the time. Right? When you look at scriptures, you see this time and time again. Because people gathered around him for the magic show. They were just looking for the next healing, the next miracle. But when he started talking about actually following him and what that demanded, many of the disciples just walked away. Okay? So in one of those most famous scenes, it's John chapter 6, Jesus had just fed the 5,000, pretty miraculous thing. (laughs) He had just walked on water. And he comes right out of that discussion and he starts talking about this difficult teaching about the cost of following him and that it required an intimacy he he talked about this daily dependence on him to be the bread and the water for our hungry and thirsty souls an admittance that there was no other source for life in this world i'm it jesus was saying i'm what you need and many in the crowds were interested in that kind of humble dependence on christ And so in verse 36, we see this statement from John. He says, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Jesus wasn't scared by the fact that he was going to say something that people weren't going to want to follow and that they were going to leave. And we talked about in, in week one, you know, that when he talked to the rich man, Jesus doesn't lower the bar and say, oh, guys, I was just kidding. No, come back, come back, come back. You know, I need your ties. <laughs> we might not make it through the next week. No, he's just like, hey, this is the deal. <laughs> so let's talk about this, because the question in the room has got to be, why did God set it up this way? This narrow gate, the hard road that only a few would find, why did he create it like that? And I think one part of the answer is that's more of a statement about our human hearts, than it is about his heart. Our salvation came at a great personal cost to Jesus. And we can never forget that. Okay, this wasn't a cheap price. The way of the Savior was one of suffering, to win our hearts from the clutches of hell. Isaiah 53.5 describes it like this, his sacrifice, It says, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. And so, guys, that kind of love for us demands from us a heart completely surrendered to his lordship. Or as Paul put it in his writing, you are not your own. You were bought at a price. And that price was the precious blood of Jesus. And if you're going to enter in and receive that forgiveness, which most people are find pretty attractive, he's saying, hey, listen, you're not in charge anymore. You really weren't in charge before, but you kind of thought you were. <laughs> but now I'm making it clear who's sitting on the throne if you're going to follow me. The other reason this Christian road was so demanding is that Jesus knew what lie ahead for his followers. He knew what was coming. That they were going to be persecuted, that they were going to be drugged before the Jewish courts, that they were going to be brought in before the Roman rulers. He knew that just in the the decades and the couple centuries to come, that they were going to be burned alive on stakes that they were going to be crucified, that they were going to be thrown into Colosseums to be devoured by lions for entertainment. He knew what was coming for them. And so context is key here, <laughs> right? Jewish and, uh, Jesus and his Jewish people, they lived in an occupied land with an enemy that was very real, with a, a man who sat on a throne that says, there's only one God, <laughs> there's only one person you bow down to, and it's me, Caesar. So this was a threat. And it was so much of a threat and the price was so high that in fact, even after Jesus' resurrection, which was obviously like the greatest miracle that's ever happened, right? In Acts 1.15, it says there were only 120 people left still in Jerusalem, ready to follow Jesus and start what we now know as the church. After three years of traveling around and doing miracles and preaching to thousands of people, 120 people people were still on board, still willing to say, yeah, I'm on Jesus's team. Much was at stake in a decision to align yourself with Jesus. And so he knew it was his duty to properly warn them about what kind of commitment they were making, what kind of commitment they needed to make in order to stay true to him when the heat got turned up in this world. And so it's hard for us to relate to that time. It's hard for us to relate to the urgency of the message that those first century people would have heard when they heard Jesus' teaching because we live in such a different era than that. But the call is no less demanding. Guys, and in all of this, we have to remember that we have an enemy, right? And that enemy's job is to make that broad road really attractive, really attractive, man. Fleshly temptations, worldly distractions, anything to pull people away from a complete surrender to the will of God and making Christ Lord in their lives. Because guys, Satan knows that for most of us, when we're tempted, most humans, they will choose the temporary earthly pleasure over the self-sacrifice required to follow the way of Jesus. He knows it. I want you to open your Bibles to John chapter 6. It's page uh, 972. So this is right after that time when everybody kind of peeled away and deserted him and Jesus turns to his twelve chosen disciples not just the hangers-ons but his inner circle and he asks them this question in verse 67 he says you do not want to leave too do you? Jesus asked the twelve Simon Peter answered him Lord to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. Where else would we go? I can kind of relate to Peter there because, at a very young age, for me as a teenager, um, I'd arrived at the conclusion that there was no other way that was going to lead to life than Christ. Because as a kid who'd grown up in a broken home, watching the destruction caused by people following their own desires and doing life their way, (laughs) to put it bluntly, that was not a way of doing life that was working (laughs) for those folks. And it wasn't a way of life that I wanted to replicate. I knew something different had to happen. I was ready to try life Jesus' way, no matter what the costs were. And I'm grateful, guys, that I I came upon that God opened my eyes to to that understanding at a young age. Because there are so many people I meet now that have been trying to rule their life for years and years and years and kind of have it their way that are just like, man, think about the years I've wasted thinking that I had it figured out, that I knew what was best for me and the people around me. And in the process, I'm empty and lonely, and I've got this path of destruction behind me, failed relationships, severed relationships, It's kind of one of those things like, you know, where you you can take my word for it or you can learn it on your own. You know, you ever tell your kids that? It's like, man, I wish you'd just listen to me and just understand that I've got some wisdom and just do what I say instead of having to learn the lesson. But we've all got our own path and journey. And guys, I wanna, as we close, I just wanna make some things very clear, okay? The way is narrow. The road is hard. Only a few are going to find it. Okay, but in the midst of all that, God is good. And his promises are real. Right? His promises for those few. He reminded his disciples of this and reminds us today. He says things like this. Guys, surely I am with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. I will not leave you as orphans, but I will come to you. In fact, when I leave you, I will send you an advocate who will be with you forever, the spirit of truth. He said, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. He said, in this world there will be trouble, but take heart. I've overcome the world. You see, this this Savior, this Lord that we follow is a conquering and victorious king. Amen? I want to hear from you guys before we go, okay? Um, So we're kind of stacking some things week to week, you know, and as Justin and I sat down and kind of mapped out the sermon series, we kind of looked through the gospel at, at kind of when Jesus began kind of revealing kind of chronologically what it looked like to come after him, to be in a relationship with him. Okay, so we started with this conversation of the first things he said was follow me, right? And then last week we talked about, you know, he, he said, hey, guys, you've got to be born again. You, you've got to come like a child. And he begins to talk about the posture that we have to take. And then this week he talk, starts talking about, man, it's, it's a narrow way. It's hard. <laughs> Not many of you are really going to stick it out. I just want to end today with just by asking you this question, just having some people share. (laughs) Why have you chosen the narrow path? So why have you chosen to yield and surrender lordship of your life to Christ? And if you're willing, I'd love to maybe just have the mic. People can hear what you have to say. I'll throw it up to the balcony too. I haven't forgot about you all up there. If you got something to share. But at this point in your life, why why have you chosen the narrow path? Why is that the path you know is the right one for you, and that you're willing to make in your life? Yeah, Wyatt. (laughs) Annie.
2: Well, just like what you said, um, I think that I've seen it play out multiple times in my life. Just letting. Me choose where I go, um, what my body desires, what my heart desires um, has just returned void every time. And so um, just going my own way time and time again has just proven that I'm not going to do um, what's right. And that God is the only place, just like that last verse we looked at, like God is the only place where we're going to live um, a life glorifying to him a life that's, that's meaningful, a life that's impactful. Um, so I think that that verse today really resonates just, where else would I go? Um, and I've proven that to myself multiple times. Like, you're you're a mess if you leave it to your own devices. So just trust yeah. God and, and
3: He's got this.
0: Good. Thanks. Anyone else? Yeah, okay.
3: I think it's simple that He has always been there for me, so why would I not do the same in return.
0: Mm. You've just seen evidence of his faithfulness to you throughout your life. Yeah. Even when you haven't been faithful at times, right? Yeah. Anyone else? Yeah, Kelsey.
3: I think kind of going along with growing up in the 90s in a very evangelistic um, faith, and I, I grew up in a wonderful Christian home, and I'm very thankful for that, but I think initially that when I was a kid or a teenager, you know, you grow up going to heaven's gates and hell's flames, and it was out of fear, you know, mm-hmm. I don't want to go to hell, I don't want to, and, um, you know, I want to live a, a, an eternal life in heaven with Jesus and in his big house and his mansion and all of those things, um, And then as I got older and started really living the hard stuff and doing the hard stuff, um, everything else I put my faith in failed me. Every person I put my faith in left me or failed me. Every materialistic, worldly thing I put my faith in, it failed me. And then when we went through the adoption process and it was just like, so blindly like you had nothing else to do but to rely on Jesus and his faith and know that eventually like this is going to come to fruition and you know he is going to move these big mountains like knowing that there's nothing else to put my faith in because that everything else will fail Mm. Um, I think that's when it really truly flipped for me Um, and I thought I'd been really truly following Jesus my entire life I really did and I think I had good intentions but I think they became really real and raw and genuine when I finally realized like everything else fails. Everything else fails but but Jesus. Yeah.
0: yeah. Good. Thanks. <laughs> Maybe one more if anybody has something to share.
1: So, I'm kind of new to fully giving my life to God. I mean, I grew up in a Christian household, but I hadn't really given my life to God, and I never really felt accepted anywhere, honestly. I'm kind of a weird kid, but... (laughs) um, When I... Everything I went through in high school, all I could feel was emptiness and loneliness, and everything was a dead end. And honestly... When I started coming to Christ and coming to Young Life and really just starting to wanting to give my life to God, it really made me feel like there is someone out there for me. That if I serve him, good things are to come. That if I trust him, I don't have to worry anymore about, does this person like me? If I do this, will everything be okay? Because when I gave my life to God and I served him, I had a trust that I know whatever happens, whether I fail college or whether I do this or do that, that he's there for me. And just living in that mindset is so much more fulfilling than anything I had before. So I want to live my life to serve God because I know he cares for me. And I know that he will not forsake me. And that's a person I want to live for.
0: That's good. Thank you, man. Appreciate it. And I think that there's, you know, again, another tension I think we experience is like, um, hey, all right, um, is that, guys, this, you know, we, we have to really come to terms with the fact that this world is not ours, that this is not our home, that the things that we're, you know, hustling around trying to line up so that our, our life will be great and feel good and <laughs> successful, like, that's not what you were created for. Those things that you're pursuing and chasing are not the desires that God is most concerned about. And that's why he talked again and again. He was honest about what this world would be like, but he was also honest about what the next world would be like, right? And he says, you know, store up for yourself treasures in heaven. You will get frustrated and lost and empty and discouraged trying to make this world heaven, trying to make those things satisfy you. That's why Jesus said, I am the bread you're looking for. I'm the water you're looking for. All other things will fail you. Until you come to terms with that, you're just going to continue to try to strive and find your hope and your satisfaction in things that will never do it. And the thing is, guys, is, is once we find out that truth, that man, he's the living water that we're seeking, Scripture says that his demands are not cumbersome. Like, it is not a chore to follow him. I don't wake up every day being like, oh my gosh, man, God, what are you gonna have me do today? I guess I'm your slave today. What's it gonna be? Like, that is not the posture. My posture is like, man, Lord, you know me better than anybody else. You know how I'm gonna be most full and and life-giving and wholehearted. Man, you know, how can I honor you today? How can I give back to you for the sacrifice that you gave for me i want to please you it's an honor to be on your team (laughs) the few the proud (laughs) you know that's the mindset the posture that we've got to get right in our heads it's not this one of drudgery or uh, well being a christian sucks you know it's like no that's not the case (laughs) but it's a mind shift of what our expectations are for this world and the people in this world and the things that we're chasing in this world Those things were not created to be your satisfaction, okay? We're going to do communion, all right? And Jesus said that when we do this, it's to remind ourselves of what is true, what is life, (laughs) bread and water and substance for us, okay? And also going into this time, Jesus said you should search your hearts. You know, so as we come to this time and it's like, man, if I have not been if I'm if I'm kinda of playing the Christian game and I'm not